On this week's episode of Flock of Cigars, we tackle cartels and we get to see George St. Pierre do the most awkward, anguished face ever seen in the history of cinema. Episode five of Flock of Seagulls. Five. Feeling, feeling great. Five, that means we've been doing this for ten weeks. Ten years. Can you believe it, guys? Whole decade. I'm a long way. I'm Dylan. I'm Michael. And I'm Riley. And we watched Killing Salazar. Re-released in the United States as Cartels. Cartels, for some reason. I like the title Killing Salazar better. Yeah. I guess... Cartels is like, uh, it's a little bit more on trend as far as like uh, people's interests in uh, crime and politics and such. Yeah. Uh, especially in the wake of the success of, uh, you know, the El Chapo thing and uh, uh, Narcos and uh, Sicario, et cetera, et cetera. But if you put an accent on killing Salazar, it's killing the laser. There is the laser. Boop, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there it is. Uh, Too fast for light, but oh, not really. It is the speed of light. That uh, it's goodbye, Salazar. It's Wait, about who's that in the studio? <laughs> it's it's about uh, what's supposed to be like, I you know, drug trafficking or whatever. But in order to save money, it's shot in Romania, and so yet again, <laughs> it's, it's, the, 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 it's the Eastern European uh, iteration of uh, narco terrorists. Yeah, if anything, that kind of added something because most of them aren't there, so. We'll give it that. Yeah. <laughs> well, one thing I did love just right off the bat, there are multiple shots in uh, Cartels, Killing the Laser, um, of uh, the Romanian World Trade Center. Yes. And even when they just focus on the World Trade Center and you can just see the reflection of it around or when they do like sort of off-axis camera shots, there is nothing around it for miles. It's all just forests. Yeah. It's not like a downtown sort of central location. Yeah. Um, you think they are able to shoot there pretty cheap. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's funny you mentioned that thing about the forest because there's that scene later on where they're admiring the view. Mm-hmm. And it is like, it, it is a nice view. They're rolling hills in LA. And of is this verger. the same place as Contract to Kill, the main? I don't think so. Okay. Because I think Contract to Kill was like Turkey or something, I want to say. Okay. Well, the parking lot looked vaguely familiar, but not exactly. Yeah, it's a two-pronged question. So is it set there? Not really. Yeah. Is it in the same like space for shooting? Uh, indeterminable. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It, it is very... It's, it's shot to be nondescript, for sure. Yeah, and I, there's this thing with the forests that is getting me, too, with both these movies where like they clearly just feel like a scenic set and not really appropriate for anything beyond just sort of a scenic set. Like that whole scene with the drone and the the contract kill. Yeah. Same kind of vibe. Yeah. Yeah. So fun fact about this, uh, this was 
one of seven Seagal films that came out in 2016. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Working hard. And then there's also the seventh film that Seagal did with one of the greatest names in the history of directors, Keone Waxman. Yeah. Surprisingly enough, not a RuPaul contestant. Yeah. Associated in my mind forever with Kamasi Washington. <laughs> yeah, this almost felt like if Contract to Kill was the movie Keone Waxman did as a favor to Steven Seagal, <laughs> this is the movie Steven Seagal did as a favor to Keone Waxman. <laughs> One of the things I love about this film is it doesn't suffer from really third act issues like the other ones do. Yeah, and it, 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 it it's good because they undercut the action every scene, every 10 minutes or so with an interview with basically all the people who were in mortal danger just a few minutes before. And then it's like, a you know, 10 weeks after sort of thing and they're all fine and whatever. It was almost like dumb, dumb Rashomon. I, I, I found it to be like an episode of The Office if every character was Dwight. <laughs> huh, okay. And then, like, once every every couple minutes, somebody's talking to the camera about what just happened. So it was very easy to sort of keep an eye on what was going yeah. the entire time. Yeah, it's also convenient just for the purpose of, like, plot exposition, like, where before the movies kind of get, like, bloated down with that sort of thing. Uh, this seemed to have much more, like, uh, okay, we can just sort of get it all out in these scenes, and whatever convolutions that are in the story can just sort of be explained away by a barely audible Steven Seagal. Mm. So it worked out pretty great. One funny thing that uh, jumped out at me, uh, like within the context of like the order that we're watching things, right. is so we just watched Exit Wounds, which I think we kind of all agreed that that was his last like Hollywood hurrah. And so I'm not sure if you noticed, but one of the production companies was called Hollywood Media Bridge. I thought that was that was almost like the, the 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 transition from exit wounds to this was like Hollywood to direct to TV media. You know what? It's funny you mention that because I had also cherry picked a different production company title as funny, which was Notorious Films, mm. which is like you're you're already kind of labeling your movie as like a kind of amb an ambiguous way of sort of addressing a movie. Like sure. Notorious isn't necessarily good or you know, anything like that. John Wayne Gacy's notorious. I mean, I'm just saying. So. Duran Duran. Yeah. Notorious. Yeah. Mm. I mean, both no, good reason. No. Yeah. Notorious. All right. Ten year age gap rears its ugly head again. Guys, hey. so what the fuck happens in this movie? It's a confusing <laughs> one. Who wants to start uh, cracking open this egg? So I guess first it starts off with the drug stuff montage. And it's like drug trafficking, blah, blah. It's like this long montage. And Longest opening credits in the world. Yeah. I'm and so one line that really jumped out at me was it said federal death penalty for drug dealers. And like, <laughs> I thought that was a little weird uh, in light of uh, the whole thing with the, the, the Duarte guy in the Philippines. And his whole thing is that not only should they be killing drug dealers, but drug users. And it's just like, it seemed like it was like, maybe not the best tone to start it off. And it was also kind of un-Sagal, because like, his thing usually isn't like hardline politics. It's kind of more like some like dumbass, but still sort of like pseudo-progressive approach. So that well, was one of odd. the interesting things about this is it's like a complete flip of Seagal in his first couple films, where it's like the government has too much overreach in what they sort of do around here. Uh, and this one, he is the guy going into another country on behalf of the DEA, 
Yeah, there was there's a lot of confusing stuff with people's uh, organizational ties. Yeah, this is very strange. Well, as far as like, does the DEA have jurisdiction outside so of the they, U.S.? They do. They have what's called uh, these fast teams, and so they pair up with uh, U.S. special forces. And so they've run. They've done a bunch of operations in uh, Afghanistan with the opium trade. And so they'll go in with special forces and do operations in other countries. So they do have jurisdiction outside of uh, huh. domestic stuff. But uh, like Canadian Mounties. Can yeah. One thing that was confusing was like, I guess maybe we're getting a little bit ahead, but we might as well just kind of touch on this. Like the there's the the team that Dominic Goss, the bald guy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One that he's two. with. And like, are they the DEA or? Because they keep on saying U.S. Marshals, U.S. Marshals, U.S. Marshals. Yeah. But then they have U.S. Army on them. And U.S. Marshals cannot operate in foreign countries. Like they're like the RCMP. Kind of. Like they have jurisdiction in the States and that's it. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was weird. They're always like U.S. Marshals, U.S. Marshals, U.S. Marshals. I and mean, U.S. Marshals aren't the military. They're police. So I, I was really confused about how they all have this U.S. Army thing. Yeah. Like, that was odd. Yeah, it also feels like a bit of an overreach in terms of if you're a marshal... Like, why are you concerned with international drug yeah, trade at all? That, yeah, they wouldn't be. Like, is found that that was a little odd. Yeah, your point about the hardline drug stance is very interesting too, because then again, jumping way ahead, we have this sort of weird pot smoking character yeah. <laughs> uh, who just sort of appears, who is actually one of the more likable characters yeah. in the movie. But one of the big sort of reveals is that he's a big mastermind of yeah. this whole thing, and the only like sort of tip of the hat to that is the fact that he's a drug user which yeah. is like kind of silly especially since it's like done for such like comedic effect i guess a drug dealer and a 47 year old man who still wears little baby blue beats by dre headphones <laughs> whenever he's on the job yeah and like dances and skips around he's a yeah uh right. very interesting character yeah i don't think I'm sure like- that was sort of one of those things he was like okay i've built up this backstory in my head this is who my character is yeah, I don't think they let you wear Beats by Dre headphones at most, like, hotel dorms. <laughs> uh, I didn't look into this. I'm not sure if you guys did. But, like, this movie seemed like it had a lot more money behind it. Like, just that opening interrogation scene, like, it was really slick. Like, the photography was really good. It looked really good in comparison to Contract to Kill. And so, I mean, uh, like, both of them are Keone Waxman films, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so it's just like, I'm, I'm not sure if this one had an extra $10 million or something. But, like, it looked like a real... Well, the one thing that it had a leg up on from Contract to Kill is this one takes place a lot more in one setting, which is that one hotel. Good point. Yeah. Good point. And also in that one interrogation room. So, I mean, the setups are probably a lot easier in that sense. About Contract to Kill had a lot more different locations and uh, just sort of set setups that were in uh, very hard to the sort of control locations. Like mm-hmm. so, starts <laughs> off with. Uh, interrogation scene that we gather is happening after i guess the film and then we go to a flashback of a raid scene yeah in which a lot happens there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about in the raids so first off we've got uh the like classic late period uh segal trope of the uh female hottie who dress code doesn't apply to Everyone else is in full fucking crazy tactical gear. She's wearing a little fucking baseball hat, long ponytail, <laughs> no body armor, leather jacket. Like, uh, very strange. I don't know, man. Leather's pretty cool. True. Very true. <laughs> Another funny detail was, did you notice how they used firearm selection to 
uh, imply things about the characters. Is this where we're raiding Salazar's compound? The very beginning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, so, okay. I watched this movie like three hours ago, and it's already just dripping out of my mind. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. This movie was a soft breeze through my brain. <laughs> like, All right. uh, it was so just cookie cutter. Like, it was just like, and then at a certain point, it just, everyone started switch-swapping, switch and I'm just like, I, I've I've lost it. Yeah, it's sort of like that snake <laughs> eating itself, except it's backstabbing itself. Yeah, yeah. Or a Boris. Um, <laughs> so you've got uh, um, Salazar's like henchman wearing uh, like 1970s Bond villain like onesie yeah. silly uniforms. <laughs> but here's where it gets interesting. You'll notice that all of them have AK-47s with that old ass wooden stock and like the forend and handguard. But Seagal's guys, some of them do have AK-47s, but they have uh, this synthetic stock and they have like optics and stuff on them. So it's the same gun, but it's like saying that the security guards have these old ass busted guns because they're, you know, fuck ups and just like these random dummies. And then the Seagal crew guys, they have the better updated gun to show that they're more technically proficient. Now, Seagal's crew also, as they start raiding this compound, and they do, as Salazar first playing uh, chess with George St. Pierre. George Rush St. Pierre. His character name, uh, fantastic movie character name, just Bruno Sinclair. Bruno Sinclair. (laughs) (laughs) George St. Pierre, God love him, I guess. I don't know much about him, aside from that he's a very prolific uh, UFC fighter. Is this his first acting credit? Oh, God, I hope so. And I hope it's his last. He's really struggling here. He's in Captain America, I think. Is he really? Yeah, he's in one of the Avenger films. I haven't seen it. Dang. But But there's an interesting story in this film that is just played across George St. Pierre's face and nowhere else. Oh, boy. And it's an internal struggle that this character is going through. Because the actor does not know what to do when he is a background in a scene or when he's just a scene of him looking on at someone. Multiple expressions, so many different things going on. Wondering if the scene has ended. Have they called cut? No, they haven't. I better look down and then up again and then around the room. Yeah, yeah I was about to say, I would almost argue one of the biggest problems with this is, and normally I would defer to the acting a lot of times, but... The editing in this is really bad, especially <laughs> in like the dialogue scenes where they'll hang on. And it's not just George St. Pierre. It's a lot of characters will hang on a guy's face for mm. just that like three half a second too long. And you you just see them just break like just yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. like, shit, like, fuck, you it's fucked like, it up. It would be amazing if it was like a Tim and Eric sketch because it would be so bang on and then just a little off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Or like that, that Mr. Show one where it's like the futuristic house. And they'll have those like awkward cuts where he's moved in the same shot and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, full disclosure, I'll get I'll get just get this out of here. I was so distracted by George St. Pierre's cauliflower ear. It was yeah. un- it's nasty oh, stuff, man. Yeah. Oh man, I couldn't stop thinking about but, it. I mean, and it, it really adds more depth to that character. Oh man, where has he been? Why was he a boxer? It's, it's Why is he no I... longer a boxer oh, anymore? God. It's really nasty yeah. stuff. Yeah, I've had to I've had to drain my ears before to stop that. Oh boy, Ooh. yeah. Is there like a process to do to stop that? Oh yeah, yeah. Basically, oh. like the, the only reason that happens is it. when you when you let it go, because like basically it'll fill up with liquid, and if you don't like 
do anything about it, it'll just scar tissue will form. So basically what you need to do is when it fills up, you need to stick a needle in it, suck that stuff out, and then compress it so your ear heals. Oh. Because like my ears are like, they have a bunch of scar tissue, but it's all like compressed down. Because like if you feel my ear, it's like a like a plastic Barbie ear. Let's do it. Like it's like, it's really weird. Like everyone else's ears are all soft, but mine's just like hard as a rock. Oh. <laughs> Wow, we're learning things yeah. about each other, guys. <laughs> this is great. Did you notice how uh, they had another French Canadian actress almost like to like be George St. Pierre's buddy, the woman yeah. with the black hair? And they had a few moments where they exchanged. Yeah, his thick French Canadian accent yeah, she, also a, was never heavy accent. Yeah, it was never really uh, addressed either. Yeah. And uh, especially he speaks Russian a few times, right? Yeah, yeah. Or he, uh, and there's oh, some I assume French he does. Around. Yeah. yeah, actually, Segal mocks him in French. He speaks French a few times. Okay, so I wasn't sure because I downloaded a version very legally. That was all in Italian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So everything came up with Italian subtitles. Yeah. Uh, which was interesting because at some points I was like, oh, my grade nine French is flaring up. I've, uh, I'm sensing something. So Seagal's team starts raiding this place. Yeah. And uh, Salazar starts making some ominous sort of threats, non-threats, guarantees that someday all this will be George St. Pierre's. If you uh, ever beat me at chess, all of these will be yours. And that chess game is odd if you look at it because George St. Pierre is a white and has about 10 pieces on the board. Yeah, but he still has, like, his first moves with a pawn. But it's like, what the fuck? Then uh, Salazar has just his king and a pawn left mm -hmm. and puts George St. Pierre in check even though... Looking at that board just casually, yeah, it, being the chess champion that I am, not all of us can be heroes like you. Uh, um, but it didn't seem like he was in check. Anyways, it, that's it's definitely just, not a real check. Maybe that was supposed to be a metaphor of how when uh, Salazar looks like he's backed into a corner, he's actually always ahead of everybody else. That would be actually really uh, a, a really smart move on the on the part of Kamasi Washington. You know, it was a weird detail in the raid scene that, like, aside from like. Uh, Salazar shooting a glance over to witness it is never really addressed. The elderly maid being gunned down by, yeah. I guess, we're assuming it's Seagal's guys did it, but it's kind of like... I guess they was, linger was, on her. Yeah, it, I guess it was maybe setting up like what comes later, like the audience kind of aligning with Salazar. So maybe it was just like to feel... Something else I want to bring up in this raid scene. So Seagal's team starts taking over the compound, let off a few explosives to get through sort of the the, the hedge maze more easily or something yeah, like that. But then is it sloppy editing or is there a round that can come out of a shotgun that sets people on fire? Well, no, what it was was like the, so the, the they have these like, um, I think it like might be a Finnish AK-47 or maybe a Ukrainian AK-47, but basically an updated AK-47 that has a grenade launcher on it. So they were actually shooting from the grenade launcher. And but it there's, could there's be like a, an incendiary. Right? There's a cut where Seagal shoots at somebody. There, there's a shot of the man. Yeah. Seagal shoots at him. Yeah. Shot back at the man. Yeah. He's on fire. Oh, no, now. no. He was already on fire. He was already yeah, yeah. on so fire. So they, they, they grenade launched him. Those guys were burning. And Seagal runs in while the guy's going, ah, he shoots him with a shotgun. Oh. Yeah. So he was already burning. <laughs> and Seagal just kind of put him So Seagal is very merciful. Very, very humane. Very humane. Yeah, he is the malevolent, merciful lord. There was a phrase when they finally get into the compound that I'd never heard before. Seagal says, keep it on a swivel, which I'd never heard before, which basically means stay alert, but keep your head on a swivel. I'd never heard that phrase before. Mm. Yeah. And then everybody does a dead check. And then 
Is that our first flashback? Is that our first? Yeah, that was our first flashback. Yeah. Uh, at this point, I begin to uh, totally forget everything that happened. In this so I, I guess like one thing we should probably talk about, because this is like an important narrative thing, is uh, so they, they're kind of closing in on Salazar. Mm. It's uh, Salazar and uh, Bruno Sinclair, a.k.a. GSP. And they're in there, and he's like, just let them take me and our lawyers, blah, blah, blah. blah. And then he smashes the uh, king chess piece that yep. he took and swallows a key. And then Seagal Oh, I thought he swallowed... I like thought the king was... a suicide pill or something. Was, yeah, it was made out of something to make him look like he was dead. I thought oh. so, too. That, yeah, it was weird the way they, they did it. Because, yeah, it was yeah. a little confusing. Yeah, so I guess now we could jump ahead to the big sort of premise and the whole thing that launched this movie, which is that, guess what? Salazar's not dead. Oh, shit. He's yeah. flipping. Yeah. I, so before that, we go into, like, I, the first thing I thought of during the scene, Top Gun. Dominique Goss, uh, on his motorcycle, intercut with a montage of the, I guess, DEA guys training in like, yeah. the sun. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it's basically. It's, like, this is Highway to the Danger. It's just, <laughs> it's just an introduction scene. You yeah. see all these people doing their... This the stereotypical army training yeah. scene. Yeah, it's it kind of just is meant to just sort of establish all the main characters and the shooting scene, the targeting scene. Yeah, yeah, that oh is God. A really. The first really thing I thought scene. of was Men in Black. Yeah, yeah. So is that DEA? I thought so. It's are they good. the army or what? Yeah, because they're like I on an army base. They're yeah. all dressed in. Yeah, like, uh, I think it's supposed to be DEA. But then later on, when they're dealing with uh, what's his name, Mike Carroll, the black guy. He's DEA, and it mm-hmm. seems like some sort of weird thing. And this is one of those things that is sort of a hallmark of Seagal films, wherein a lot of that sort of confusion is cleared up in like one or two lines that are never addressed again. And it's just sort of a throwaway line by him, yeah. which Seagal's line reading in this movie is probably some of the worst I've seen. Yeah. You can tell him, you can, you can see there are lines written on a page that he has decided to take a giant, like he'll run through a sentence, that is only halfway done, and then he'll take a big long breath and then yeah, finish like the last two words. Mr. Like, uh, labored dramatic pauses. And it, yeah, it just, it sounds like he has like really bad asthma that yeah, he is not yeah, addressing. Yeah. Uh, did, actually, going back to the shooting scene, uh, there's a hilarious line that uh, kind of plays two roles. One of them is to uh, start the seduction between Dominic Goss and, uh, as, and Chavez. Uh, and also, uh, who has been in nothing else? It's that her woman, first film, by the way. Martine Argent, Canadian model. I um, expect so big he, things. I guess, doesn't shoot the female target, and he's like, "You had uh, five seconds left. You couldn't do that." And he's like, "I have trouble shooting beautiful women." Cut to uh, uh, Agent Chavez. She's like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." I mean, this movie, for the most part, just sort of will hit sort of the common tropes of this sort of, uh, you know, big takedown cartel movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, this interrogation scenes with Seagal are interesting because Seagal uh, kind of comes off as the bad guy in the scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a really good quote by the one of the few reviews of cartels that I found, which was by the LA Times, yep. Noel Murray. And he said that Seagal looks like now just like a guy dressed like Seagal, which I thought <laughs> was like a really good, interesting observation. And that's the whole, all I could think in those scenes, which is like, he's just sort of oh. just sitting, sitting there and he's just sort of, uh, you know, not really doing or 
moving or anything. And it just sort of seems like, yeah, they could have just gotten like literally a guy, any guy to do that. role. One thing that I liked about Seagal in these scenes where he's going through and he's like dressed to the nines in like Kevlar vest with like army fatigues on and things like that is he's gone so far past sort of like the optimum action star body that now he looks like I more associate him with like a team fortress Two heavy. Like those guys yeah. who are supposed to be tanks who are supposed yeah. to go around and just, you know, soak up damage. Like he does in a certain sense, in my mind, it's associated with someone who could take a lot of damage and dish a lot of it out. Yeah. It should also be worth noting that even though Seagal got top billing in this, this isn't really his movie. No, he's kind of the, uh, the Anthony Hopkins Hannibal Lecter in this where he just sort of <laughs> drops in, but it's really, a, a, a I guess a star making vehicle for Luke Goss who uh, was, um, I don't know, he's in things, but he's not particularly, like, well-known. I don't know. It's, he's, he did a pretty good job. Luke he held Cross. it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that, at the very least, if we're trying to make this movie about him and not Seagal and GSP, I think that, at the very least, was a point for this movie. Confusingly, a lot of scenes will end with either GSP or Luke Goss and then cut to the other one. <laughs> and at the very beginning, you're like, is this the same guy? Because they're both bald white yeah guys. honestly i can't get over how bad the editing is in this movie yeah there's in some... pace and like just arrangement like it's a so... lot of the fight scenes especially when they're trying to make it look like steven seagal has fallen down but he hasn't but it wasn't steven seagal on set oh yeah there's a Ooh, there's some it looks like they shot maybe in 4k and then used a 1080p ah, still of it to... <laughs> so uh after we see uh is it luke goss or dominic Luke Goss. You see Luke Goss joins up with the DEA. Uh, there's some, uh, you know, uh, character development stuff. And then they go to pick up Salazar. Yes. Who they, the original thing is just, it's his dead body. And they're bringing it stateside. And it turns out he's alive, which the level of surprise or concern is pretty minimal. Like, first of all, they don't even have any guns. And they're just kind of like, oh, snap. Like, you'd assume that they'd fucking tackle him, you know, and, like, LAPD him or something, you know? Uh, so they, they took it pretty well. Salazar drops a line that, at the time, just seems like a throwaway thing, but we learn it's important later. He looks at Chavez and says, Oh, everyone is surprised to see me alive, especially you, little girl. Which I really like, because... At the end of the movie, when there is a flashback, all these scenes, it doesn't look like that was originally written that way. And they're yeah. just struggling yeah, to yeah, grab yeah, different yeah, parts yeah. and be like, oh, shit. All this time was the tertiary yeah. character. Nobody cared about. And again, it could be that, uh, as Dylan previously mentioned, like it's her first acting role and she's not an actress. She's a model. But she didn't really look that surprised. She is. No. She's, uh, <laughs> like, she, I mean, she's not really the most expressive actress. But I mean, I don't think her facial expression changed at all from when they got off the plane and were standing around with their hands in their pockets. Yeah, this like guy, one of the oh. scenes in the flashback of her sort of being like always on the edge about this sort of thing is her from like a three-quarters profile behind of her just flipping through some notes and then like pausing a second yeah. when it's like the picture of his body. Like yeah. not really like, a oh, this was the tell you're supposed to pick up on. Gotta go back and watch that whole movie. Yeah, Joseph uh, El Tiburon Salazar. Uh is played by a gentleman named by Florin Pirsic Jr. So, uh, where's he from? Uh, Romania. Uh, uh, so, I mean, we want to talk about uh, 
you know, Steven Seagal being the master of playing other races. I mean, this guy's on a whole other level. <laughs> he is not trying at all to play to a guy whose name would be Joseph El Tiburon Salazar. Yeah. He is so heavily accented Russian that, yeah. as Michael previously questioned, like, is he putting on the accent? And I'm realistically wondering, no, I don't think he was. I think that this was just another example of just who gives a shit, just sort of casting in this Seagal universe. Sig universe. Seagaliverse. He was the only character who, when he was on screen, I wasn't distracted by other things or like his lack of acting skills or things like that. He was decent. Here's my guy. He was all right. He looked like the love child of Jeff Bridges and Johnny Knox. <laughs> uh, so we go from this to our kind of, I guess, mini exposition dump with Seagal. Uh, we're not quite to my favorite Seagal exposition dump, uh, but we'll we'll leave it there. You're a real downer this episode. I know. I don't remember what's happening. Well, this was a cool breeze through my mind. We're not to my favorite part. Wham, wham, wham. Get together. <laughs> so the U.S. Marshals, uh, much to their chagrin, uh, learned that they're not bringing a dead body back. They have to, quote, sit Salazar. I'm not sure if that's actually, like, military or elite law enforcement turn. I've never heard that before. They have, to, they have to sit him for 24 hours to get authorization to bring him back. And so they go to an empty uh, hotel because of water issues not? with the foundation. <laughs> sure. And, I mean, what else is there to say? They get the presidential suite because nothing, yeah. nothing no. but the best for Salazar. Um, Salazar actually seems to be cooperating with everyone. The DA agent seems to be on pretty good terms with everybody at this point. And so, uh, yeah, they're, they're kind of setting up at the hotel, and then uh, Luke Goss is going on, like, a little mission to, like, check things out. And a recurring theme in this film, brutal trigger control. He's got his finger on the trigger as he's walking around the whole time, which is just like, you know, you, you don't have to be a fucking special forces guy. No, it's just, like, stupid. <laughs> and so he runs across the... Uh, I found it like Buster Keaton-esque bellboy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I'll, okay, let's get into the bellboy. <laughs> okay. So this guy is existing in two parallel universes, which is sort of a classic movie, like, you know, wacky side character that almost feels like, not necessarily throwback to Buster Keaton, but like the 30 screwball comedies sort of thing. Sure. Mixed with like a outdated Reagan era view of like smokers are jokers, <laughs> like yeah. pot user. Uh, and I guess the whole setup is the fact that Luke Goss keeps letting this guy off the hook. So he yeah. catches him sparking up a big fatty and he's sort of like, all right, your life, man here, have one more toke before I take it away. Kind of thing. And you really are wondering like, okay, what's this guy set up for? And uh, talk about Chekhov's uh, gun theory <laughs> here. I mean, this is Chekhov's weird waiter or bellboy. Bong weird hit. Bellboy. Chekhov's bong hit. Eh? But the, the, eh? the hit itself wasn't, wasn't Chekhov. It was the bellboy himself. It was the fact that he liked drugs that you were supposed to tune in on. Exactly. Yeah. And so Chavez comes along and she's like, do you smell weed? And then they kind of like. You uh, mean this? He's kind of reprimanded by the team leader, Sconey, for not dealing with this properly. Oh, actually, before that, uh, actually, no, in that scene, Chavez uh, refers to uh, the drugs as, quote, a marijuana cigarette. 
Yes. <laughs> it's like I, I didn't realize that my mom was consulting. Gotta watch for them jazz cigarettes. And then there's a, some awkward character development where we find out that uh, Sconey, the team leader, served under uh, Jensen, uh, Luke Goss's father. Yes. He said, I didn't like him, but I would have done. Yeah, a very uh, stereotype. Again, blurring the line between uh, army and police force. Yeah. Because yeah. that feels like a very army mentality. Yeah. yeah. yeah the idea, like the it idea. was a very, like, you know, in, yeah. the, in the field of combat, I served. Yeah, like him. the idea yeah. of a veteran. Uh, becoming essentially a cop. I don't think that has... has it was a little strange. And the other thing of just everybody thinking that they themselves are awesome, everybody is Dwight in this movie. Yeah. Everyone has like some legitimate special forces skill, but then also overplays their hand way too much. Yeah. It's almost like their big egos, though, almost cancel each other out. Like, mm. no one... I Like, no one feels, like, super, like, standoutishly bad. I'll say that. Like, even though GSP isn't great, he's just, like... You know, he's a bad actor in this overall cast. He's not like, you know, hit the bottom bad. And I think it's just because they're all just so playing so such a ridiculous level. that They're all playing the same character. Yeah, exactly. Just in different positions. Yeah. So once they've kind of got some uh, chance to just kind of hang out. I like it when it's the clumps, but here, no Uh, thank you. So they've been hanging out at the hotel. Must uh, have Murphy. This Christmas, Seagal and Seagal and Seagal. Oh man, write it down, and write it down. As the embattled professor. Oh man. And so while they're away, uh, the bad guys start to converge on uh, the hotel. Yes. And actually there was a funny, speaking of bad editing, there's a funny scene where the yes. the yes. kill squad mastering is a, a soccer team, right? Yeah, like, I guess. I, like, it, it's written in a foreign language. Like, it, was, it was like Italian subs, and it, mm-hmm. it said something about like soccer squad. Did we all watch the same... Who knows where we got it, Rip? (laughs) I think we must have. The very legal, legally, yeah. And so, yeah, there's a scene where they're in the elevator, and it's like the the patented action scene, like gearing up scene. And so they're putting on their masks, they're unzipping their bags, they're getting guns out, and then they cut to the hotel room, and they're unzipping their bags and taking everything out again. Yeah. It's just like, we've been over this. Like, fuck. And they all look like they were wearing the leftover costumes from Foxcatcher. Yeah. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah. And then there's that scene in the parking garage that really pissed me off where uh, Chavez and Jensen are, you know, dealing with uh, the motorcycle guys. And so uh, they shoot them. And then the Chavez says, dead check. Like make sure they're dead, which yeah. is weird. And so that, but that was a, that was something Seagal said in the the very beginning. Of yeah, the film. like I've never heard that phrase. But I, I didn't Google it. Maybe it's a real thing. But like the, it's so stupid because they go dead check, and then she turns her back on this person <laughs> who is still holding a gun. Yeah, and then she gets shot. It's just like so moronic. Like they would never do that. It's just like yeah, dead check would be walk over and shoot them in the head. Don't be like, oh, you alive? Like yeah, ah, made me so angry. Yeah, that's a really good impression. Thank you. Yeah, impression. I don't but yeah, know who... that's. And then uh, another hilarious scene uh, when all this kind of shit's going down uh, that Luke Goss throws a single grenade into the engine room of the elevator, and that's enough to disable the entire elevator. <laughs> and then also, it's such a big explosion that it shakes the hotel, and they're like, "Oh, it was thunder." And he's like, "Bullshit! That's not thunder. It's a bomb. It's a fucking bomb." I was just like, come on. One grenade is going to shake a hotel? 
your cells are made up accents better than the actual cells are made up accents. <laughs> I think the whole premise of the hotel and the idea that they're all sort of fighting in this compound is to the benefit of the overall action scenes too, which is that let's just have an enclosed, understood space, which like, is like, like yeah. yeah, and it's like it's a weird throwback thing where it was like everything kind of made sense actually logically, like mm. in terms of where things were happening, as opposed to like most action movies now, which I actually found kind of uh, like refreshing, but at. At that same token, like the fight scenes and sort of all the elements to them were like so going through the motions like this, uh, like, you know, it's almost like they're like load fight sequence program, like a dash seven oh two. And now we're just going to like make everyone act through it kind of thing. Show me celery, man. Exactly. And so I think once the raid is kind of getting going, we cut back to uh, Seagal interviewing Luke Goss. And at this point, uh, Luke Goss has been kind of vague about it and then Seagal this kind of, is what I want to get to he, he <laughs> kind of breaks through and there's a funny Seagal line which is such an un-Seagal line he's like uh, I get the feeling you're talking around me you know using some zen riddles or some shit which like isn't that like why would Seagal be insulting zen riddles he like, says whole thing. he says fuck about 82 times in like a two minute period where he's just trying to like jerk this guy around yeah. it's such a hilarious like Clearly, Steven Seagal was adding fucks as the take was going. Yeah. And everyone's just like, oh, man, look at the jazz master improvise. <laughs> like, and they keep this, like, take Mossy of him in. so pissed. And it may be the single worst Steven Seagal just acting scene I've ever mm. seen. He is just spouting off this obscenity-laden thing about how he's being jerked around. Yet his demeanor changes in, like, no way. He doesn't get angry. His <laughs> eyebrows don't move. No spittle comes out. He's just clearly like just God, just punishingly going through this speech where he's chewing this guy out and he adds nothing to it. And it just feels like like the fucks are being thrown in like a duck being like fattened for foie gras. Like it's just like, (laughs) oh, my God, stop it. It's too much. Just stop talking. Uh, Another like uh, lazy detail uh, around this time in the interrogation scene is uh, Luke Goss is talking like, oh. Yeah, this, this, this wasn't just a bunch of thugs uh, running around with AKs. They're a military train. They heard M4s. There wasn't a single M4 in that entire scene. I knew it you'd just, get on just, it about that. Just, I knew it. I knew it was just coming. Put one in. Like, why would you have that line in it? There's- but forget that. Uh, like, I even noticed this, which is that when they're recalling back to it, there's at least like eight different types of guns people are holding. Yeah. And this guy can identify two. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess Steven Seagal was right in his suspicions. But yeah, I don't know. That scene just pissed me off much like the previous scene in that is delivered with with like such uh, low energy intensity. And then the guy just caves and just sort of begins telling the truth. Like if I was being interviewed by that guy, I'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? Like I'm (laughs) I'm doubling down on my stance now. He was just totally not selling that scene. And I. I, I thought in my head as I'm watching, this is the bottom. This is as bad as Sakal can be. This this will be. I mean, you think you found bottom. a new bottom, but yeah. that will fall out on you, my friend. I know. And so we go back to the hotel. The shit is hitting the fan. And uh, probably the funniest moment in the entire film is Salazar pulls this shotgun out of nowhere. Yeah. And there's this like digitally added zoom in 
on his hand to yeah. show an S tattoo. Yeah. Also, did you notice that the S is for shotgun? Did you notice the shotgun was a black shotgun, crudely painted silver? No, like, no. It, it was clearly spray painted. Like they couldn't oh, afford like man. a chrome shotgun or something. But like you can see, like it looks like they didn't let the paint dry. Or something, and it's all painted all over. Maybe it was like a a, a cheap one with like a red nozzle, and they're like, "We need <laughs> to fix this up." Yeah, but I hate to like, even like beleaguer the point. But there's a shotgun in that scene, and you just said you could identify an AK-47. Like even I, an untrained gun knowledge person, <laughs> would hear I would hear a shotgun difference versus an AK-47 difference. I'm just For saying. sure. And actually, uh, uh, another funny Sorry, thing about- what is your title again, technically? Uh, professional, non-professional, gun-type person, thinker, knowledge guy. <laughs> weapons, okay? weapons consultant. So that on my business cards. Speaking of, like, dumbass gun-related stuff, so Salazar, he's, like... Comes on legal he's, he's helping out the U.S. Marshals, and he's shooting the bad guys. So Salazar is, is crouched down, and uh, one of the bad guys is shooting back. So Salazar shoots at him, and uh, the... Uh, shotgun round is powerful enough to cut the guy's arm in that half. That was amazing. But yeah. then he shoots him a second time in the head, and the wound is the size. It's like an inch. <laughs> yeah, I did and it's notice like, that. Okay, like you know, like like if if the like if he's not firing shotgun shells, he's firing slugs. It wouldn't cut his arm in half. And also, it would certainly, like, you know what I mean? It's one or the other. Like, it's a cake and eat it, too. Yeah, I got really confused with that. I thought maybe they cut from the wrong guy shooting to the guy. Yeah. No, it was just... No, no, no. What's happened is Salazar Salazar, um, has, in his... Because he says, like, he built the hotel, right? Yeah. In that... What's the build-up to this scene? He says, you're never sure what side you're on or something like that. Then people crash through... And then he starts killing the people who are going to save him. No, no, no. They weren't going to save him. They were going to kill him. They were going to they kill, were gonna it's, kill it's, him. It's, it's GSP who's doing like a... GSP's uh, now the mastermind. Like a coup, yeah. Oh. And like it, it's GSP has, has got these guys, this kill squad, to kill Salazar. Turns out I'm one step ahead of Riley. Yeah. So Salazar, like, <laughs> Salazar is teaming this up... This gentle with breeze, the, my God. He's teaming up with U.S. Marshals because it's in his best interest. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, okay, no, they okay, were gonna okay, kill. okay. Like, he understands that at this point. Yeah. Um, also, uh, in that sort of scene sequence... Uh, What's his name? Uh, the guy who is the other white guy on the squad. Asian-looking guy? Sconey? No, not Sconey. The, the older, other guy. The, the older guy, guy. Yeah. yeah. With yeah. the goatee who, who yeah. gets uh, killed by GSP. Yeah, I found him to oh, be no, no, very... No, Sconey got killed by GSP, sorry. I found him to be a very distracting presence because he. I guess he was just a stuntman. Like who they, old bum. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he just was like clearly not like a guy meant for acting. Like He was just like <laughs> a guy that they just sort of put in... The, he looked like a janitor. Yeah, well, exactly. And I found him a very distracting presence in yeah. these scenes. I mean, it's something, and I would never comment on people's appearances or anything like that, but no. this is not an American-made production because everybody yeah. was sort of like... No, this guy is, though, because uh, he's like a stuntman who was just sort of converted to an actor for this. But that's what I'm saying. It's like it's uh, not normally in American productions. It's like, let's get the prettiest people. We don't care yeah. if they could actually do any of this stuff. We just need that to sell it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, that was not the case. Mm. No, not really. So Across the board. There's another funny line around this point, uh, Seagal interrogation scene, which, uh, probably not intentional, but uh, was kind of like, made me think of that classic line from Contract to Kill, where he's like, it's like a monkey trying to fuck a football. <laughs> it, Seagal's like, fucked up, bizarre combination of monkey shit. And it's yeah. like, what? 
Yeah, that was a line that really shit. got. To but me. like, yeah. like, what is that? What would that even mean? Like, there, there's yeah. nothing specific about monkey shit. I and these are the little moments yeah. that I love about doing this podcast is we find these little nuggets of the real Seagal shining yeah. through. And it turns out he just loves to think about monkeys. Yeah, fucking throwing shit. Yeah, all these different things. That's the level his mind is operating yeah. on. The monkey. And then he drops man. a second funny shit line where, uh, when the raid's starting and everything. Segal shows up to, I guess, like the Romanian police chief's office or something. And he's yeah. like, who the hell are you? And he's like, I'm the guy you should have called when your shit went sideways. <laughs> shit, shit went sideways is kind of like a nice line because you can really picture it. Mm-hmm. I can picture shit going sideways. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. To expand out a bit <laughs> on the subject of guns, I want to expand out a bit. I'll be perfectly frank. Uh, before we started this whole endeavor, I'd never thought more about movie guns mm. than I have now. Yeah. I'm wondering, like, I realize this one in particular is a particularly egregious example of, like, wrong gun stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, how bad is it? How bad is Steven Seagal's oeuvre compared to, like, uh, like your average movie's knowledge of guns? Like, they're all they, pretty bad. Yeah. Like, it's I really assume- only like. Oh, sorry. I don't know. I feel like we spend a lot of time ragging on Seagal and his like gunplay and stuff, but it's like, is any movie like super accurate? It's with really this stuff? only like uh, guys like Michael Mann, uh, like of movies like Sicario, yeah, stuff where it's like like nerdy attention to detail, yeah, um, or like John Wick. For the most yeah. part, it, it, everyone does stupid stuff. They have like they have an AK forty seven as a sniper rifle as like yeah. one of the most inaccurate firearms in history. Like, yeah. So yeah. Um, so then we have we need more people like Michael making movies. Uh, so uh, now we learn that uh, DEA agent Mike Daryl is a bad guy <laughs> because uh, they're asking for GSP is asking for him and they have all these hostages. So Mike Carroll. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, there's yeah. there's a hilarious GSP trying to act moment <laughs> where uh, he's like, I gave him five hundred million dollars. Blah, 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 and GSP's like, I want to kill him. Blah, blah, blah. So he's like, yeah, I give him $500 million. And GSP's like, it's, it's kind of like like joking, kind of like reflecting moment. And he's like, hmm, I got to say, it's uh, a lot of money. <laughs> I don't give a fuck about him. And it's just like so bad. Like just like <laughs> so terrible. Uh, one of the other great things about this scene where GSP is sitting down with, uh, what's his name? Daryl. M- Mike, Mike Daryl, Mike Carroll. Mike Daryl. Mike Carroll. Mike Carroll. Mike Carroll. Um, is Mike Carroll throughout the scene keeps making these very authoritative sort of taps right, on must, the desk. It is Mike Daryl. Mike Daryl. So sorry. saith the IMDb page. Mike Daryl, uh, who also is, in this movie references Kaiser Soze, which I always hate when... No! Oh, the, like, actually says it or just as... No, he, he says he, he was the Kaiser Soze or something like that. Wow. And it's just like, why would you do that? Why would you invite so those sorts funny. of comparisons? Also, the second movie in which The Usual Suspects is pulled, because remember last week in Exit Wounds, uh, greatest trick ever pulled was yeah. that would convince you were dead. Uh, so <laughs> this is a recurring problem with Seagal. Yeah. Oh, actually, wait, wait. I did, uh, the, Mike, on the subject of Mike Carroll, and on the subject of bad guns. Daryl. Mike, Mike Daryl, sorry. Mm. Did you Get guys? Right. <laughs> do you guys remember uh, when he is in the police station and they're saying, you have to go in blah, 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 blah. Do you remember what happens then? Listen. Mike Daryl takes out his handgun and chambers around and gives it to him. Like he doesn't he doesn't take out the magazine and then uh rack the slide to pop out a chambered round. He chambers around and gives the guy a live weapon. 
Like, who fucking... It's just so stupid. Like, just... Uh, especially because that, that whole, like, uh, ejecting around thing, that's like a patented thing. Like, in, yeah. in Training Day, uh, Ethan Hawke uh, does that thing where he can pop around it and then catch it. Yeah. And it's just like... So dumb. Like, just like, take five minutes and figure out how a fucking gun works, dummy. Like, well, one of my favorite parts of the Mike Daryl and GSP sort of tete-a-tete is Mike Daryl, when he's talking about, like, how he tried to get Salazar to flip and, or whatever he was trying to do, he keeps tapping on the table. Huh. And all the taps get through, and they're not, like, sort of authoritative, like, uh, House of Cards where... Frank Underwood taps on the desk for, like, uh, authority's sake or something like that. These are just, like, little bumps in the audio (laughs) that keep coming up. And it makes him sound like he has child's hands that just keep hitting, like, like a a play school drum or something like that. It was such a weird, because, like, you could either uh, ADR the lines afterwards, but they didn't do that. They clearly used whatever was taken on set. Or someone went through and put in those tiny (laughs) little, little man haps. Taps. Little man taps. Child fingers on desk. Dot wave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's be honest. Dot MP4 for this yeah. film. Dot MP4. So, they can't afford uh, that wave money. The, the, we, we, we get to the part where uh, GSP finally earns his paycheck. It's in, it, it's in the most uh, MMA fan service uh, fight of all time. Yes. GSP gets him in an Americana... And then uh, does a flying arm bar on him. Yeah. And then eventually, I guess, kills him with a runic choke. I was going to ask you, does the, <laughs> does the flying arm bar, like, I could see that breaking your arm. Oh, yeah. It, it, it could kill you. Well, no, he, kill, he kills him with a runic choke. Oh, okay. Which. Uh, can you kill, you can kill people with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Actually, uh, so in the States. Isn't that how they killed Eric Garner? That actually wasn't. That was like. Kind of. It wasn't okay. technically a rear naked choke, but it was a choke from a choke behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually, on the subject of a rear naked choke and just how yeah. powerful it is. So uh, in uh, Portuguese, uh, um, the rear naked choke is actually called the Mata Leon, which means okay. the lion killer. Oh. So here's how dangerous that move is. Um, I think three or four, maybe five years ago, um, these two cousins in the States, one of them was 20-something uh-huh. and the other one was 14. Okay. They were watching wrestling. Yeah. Like SummerSlam or something. Yeah. And the 14-year-old cousin, uh, they started wrestling together. So the 14-year-old cousin has no combat sports training, no grappling training. He just watches UFC sometimes. Yeah. He got his cousin, and this was in a room full of people. Yeah. He got his cousin in a rear naked choke yeah. and killed him. Oh, and so here's, here's the reason why he killed him. So a rear naked choke, um, it is a blood choke. So it cuts off both of the arteries on the side of your neck. And so the problem with that is you can still breathe. Mm-hmm. And so he's still breathing. And so he's not turning purple or anything. You no. look fine. And you oh. feel fine, too. Like, when it's happening to but you. But it's the blood to your brain. That's yeah, like, it doesn't hurt off. at all. Like, I've been choking conscious. And, like, it doesn't hurt at all. Like, you feel great when you wake up. So anyways, yeah, this guy who has no combat stress training, 14-year-old, killed a 20-something-year-old. Jeez. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, just an indication of how powerful that stuff is. It's yeah. basically, like, like, if you don't let go after, like... I think it's like 15 seconds, then brain damage starts. Okay. And I mean, like, the person will be dead in under a minute. Yeah. Like, you don't have to hold on forever. Like, it's just, you know, you need to let your brain out. So, yeah. Yeah. for sure. Yeah, that fight, <laughs> that fight did, in fact, feel like that. It was US. very showy. Yeah, it was clearly meant to be yeah. the GSP set piece. And then a funny movie. detail is it's intercut with the women fighting. Yes. And they're fighting like seven-year-olds. They're yes. clawing at each other. Yeah. There's no moves. Oh, it was so embarrassing. And I mean, again, like Chavez is supposed to be 
a highly trained at the very least DEA agent. trained. Yeah. And that like she's fighting some skeg. Shouldn't she shouldn't Chavez beat the shit out of this woman? Like yeah, we don't even or, know who she is. Or or you know, at the very least, they would be evenly matched at a higher level of yeah. combat as opposed to just swatting at each other like yeah. a fight on world star hip hop. Yeah. <laughs> um going back to the Chavez thing, uh there's a line in uh the interrogation thing where uh Segal begins to suspect that Chavez is not on the up and up. And so he's like, you saw that uh, Chavez was wounded, but uh, she didn't have any injuries after that. And he's like, the bullet caught the vest. And then Seagal says, you know the rounds we use will go right through that. First of all, not true. Second of all, she didn't get shot by one of her own. She got shot by a cartel guy. So who, like, even, even if the DEA or the U.S. Marshals have some fictional bullet pier- uh, armor-piercing rounds, uh, which exist, but I mean, they don't mm. use them. Uh, but like, it wouldn't, it's kind of a moot point because it's the cartel guys that shot her. So who cares if you use rounds that could go through? And then earlier on with the stunt guy who gets shot and then is presumed dead, but then like mm. his, his bullet hole goes straight through the flak yeah. jacket or whatever that he's wearing and he kills over dead. And then yeah. he when, comes when back alive. Uh, when, when they bust through Salazar's bust through the windows. Yeah. Yeah. And then they come back to a really bizarre interrogation sequence in which. They reveal that that guy is actually alive, and he, like, confronts Luke Goss. <laughs> yeah, that, oh, yeah. What is the deal with that so, scene? It was it's, really confusing. It's because Seagal is unsure whether Luke Goss is in on it or not. Right. He said that, like, he had to gauge his reaction to find out he was alive to know that he wasn't in on it. But why like, is that guy any more trustworthy? It's not. It doesn't make sense at all. Okay. But that, that's the explanation. That's oh, the explanation. well, thank God it doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I, I was just, like, so lost in that whole sequence because first of all as you noted he had killed over like previously Mm -hmm. he was presumed dead so they bring like him back to life a la salazar which for no reason happens again this apparently is a common practice among the dea which (laughs) is mock death yeah like i'm assuming there's no truth to this either this is not a standard practice for anything really Mm. um outside of penn and teller warehouses Oh yeah, Teller's a freak, man. <laughs> so, that, like, this isn't an, an, an epic. Uh, no speak, freak. This isn't an epic revelation or anything. This is like obviously a standard thing in action. But like, did you notice how every single female in the film that they go to such awkward lengths to sex them up? Like, did you notice the woman taking notes? Her cleavage was out of control. Yeah, like, the, those those puppies they want to be taken up for a walk. Like, it was just like, I was just like, come on, give me a break. This is too much. I guess uh, Kamasi Washington knows there's not going to be any sex scene in this film. Yeah. We need something to keep the 13 to 24-year-olds yeah. entertained. Yeah. And then, yeah, so there's that. Then there's this Luca character who we don't really learn too, too much about. And again, she's wearing this completely atypical outfit. Yeah. Uh, she's, again, she's the only person not wearing body armor, which ends up to her, her dying <laughs> later on. Just like, this is so silly. I guess then we get to discovering that uh, even though... Oh, no, actually, this was a bit before this. We find out about Salazar's wife being killed because Bruno Sinclair, a.k.a. GSP, went a little overboard and leveled her house with a bomb. Is that what that was? Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. At this point, I had sort of tuned out and was now depending on every 10 minutes of them talking about what just happened and then ruining all the tension so, by yeah. bringing back people from the dead. Yeah, and then Salazar goes on this monologue about how everything uh, I've always wanted in my life, I didn't want to be a thug, I just wanted to be a husband. husband. <laughs> and, like, I gotta say, 
that uh, in terms of, uh, you know, character development, uh, story, et cetera, et cetera, they do a good job, at least in my opinion, of getting us on Salazar's team. Yeah. Because, you know, he's a good guy. He's, he's like, he's treating these U.S. Marshals with respect. Uh, like, he turns out to be a badass killing machine. He's fucking everybody up. Then there's the sympathy of his wife dying, and you're kind of like, maybe he's all right, you know? But <laughs> then, of course, we find out, well, you'll see. <laughs> yes, More believe it or not. The break. Believe it or not, another last-minute plot twist yeah. in the Steven Seagal movie. And then, so I guess at this point, Seagal enters the fray, and he comes in with his team. Yeah, which... Uh, I would imagine, is that a good idea? Like, that's not a good idea, is it? To have, like, so you have DEA Team 1 inside, mm -hmm. right? Just dressed in one uniform. DEA Team 2 downstairs dressed in other uniform. It's a good point. Combat. It's like, a good point. It seems like there's a lot of friendly fire issues with that. No, it's a good no? point. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no okay. I completely agree. Yeah, that having, like, mixing, matching all these uniforms. Yeah. So. Yeah. And another, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Another weird detail with the raid in terms of, like, like weird lazy details is uh, it starts off with Seagal walking around with this super modern-looking AK with all the shit on it, but then when they're inside, he just has a handgun now. Yeah. And it's like this wide-open space. You know there's these heavily armed guys. Why did you put away the automatic rifle that you had, <laughs> and you're using this little fucking pea shooter? Like, it's just really weird. Like, yeah, uh, especially in Seagal's hands. Like, yeah. it does look like, like an yeah. ape like, yeah. with, like, a toy gun or something. Yeah, I, I, th I thought that was very strange. Um, it almost felt like uh, like a show force on his front. Like, mm. I don't need no big gun. I'll yeah. take them all out with my pea shooter and my fists, you know? And so I guess so when the shit is hitting the fan, we get... Uh, I think these two sh fight scenes are intercut. Uh, Luke Goss fighting mm -hmm. Mike Daryl. Yes. And GSP fighting uh, Seagal. Which, holy shit. That might be... Okay, I've never seen someone... Like, when I see a fight staged in a movie, you can usually sort of perceive, you know, the trained fighter versus the stage actor. I've never seen, like, someone stoop down their fighting skill to such an ability to oh, accommodate the yeah. other partner in yeah. it. George St. Pierre was like, God love him for that scene. He was trying so hard to look like he could get his ass kicked by Steven Seagal. Yeah, and then that, that, <laughs> that scene was a classic example of the... Seagal refuses to be hurt or to face any adversity yeah. because uh, GSP, when he's fighting Sconey, Sconey's like this young, highly trained guy, and every blow that GSP lands, the guy's fucked up. Yeah. But then Seagal, uh, GSP lands like this epic like three-hit combo yeah. that knocks him over, but then we cut to Seagal getting up uh, as if uh, he rises uh, like a sentient golem. Or yeah, yeah, like, 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 like he—he's not hurt at all. Like, no. It looks like he's getting up to check the mailbox. Like, oh wait, I'm directing this movie. I need some way to communicate that Steven Seagal is better than GSP, even though we haven't seen Steven Seagal move at all in this yeah. film. What am I going to do? What if I had him wave his hands like he was about to cast a spell? Yeah, in between every sort of you know, bout of blows with GSP. I will say that they did a good job editing around his lack of mobility. <laughs> like they, 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 I think like when he was doing his Aikido throws and stuff like that, like they made it seem like it could actually work, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, I found it weird that uh, Luke Goss stabs Mike Carroll with like a mallet. Like, 
It's oh, yeah, exactly yeah. the that sharpest weapon. Like, I don't think that's yeah. even possible. We should touch on, like, this movie was incredibly violent. Like, yeah. just even by terms of, like, violent movies. Actually, in a lot of the reviews, off. they mentioned that. that yeah, was, like, like, really it was, graphic. And yeah, it was, like, yeah, it was some pretty hardcore stuff. Yeah, yeah like, like, limbs being shot off. Having someone in the you, neck. Yeah. One guy at one point has a like a big chunk That's of his skull kicked yeah. in. Yeah. 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 And like just like and then not on top of that, and then on top of that, like graphic like shots of like just the bleeding out corpses after the action is mm-hmm. over, which you don't see a lot anymore yeah. and yeah. feels like like why? One thing I was glad about is they couldn't afford to make all that blood CGI. Like it was like on There's set a few that bad day. CGI yeah. shots. Is there? Yeah, instead of using like squibs. Like they clearly use this like CG and it looks so bad. Yeah, the one with the bullet going through the guy's forehead yeah. with the whole shocking confusion was yeah. a perfect example. That looked really strange. Another yeah. another bad uh, detail was when Seagal stabs GSP oh, in his carotid yeah. artery. There's no spray. No, that's like a classic thing. You gotta have the spray. Well, that was it. Was a beautiful moment where like you you see. The knife sort of go in so bad. The time, yeah, is so and bad. then like the sound sort of starts afterwards, yeah. and it's like, oh, somebody's cutting a melon yeah. now. And yeah. then, uh, George Saint Pierre has acted this entire movie up to this point as a man who has never blinked once in his life. Like, his yeah. he looks like his eyelids have been cut off, yeah. and this is the only moment where that works, where it's just like this incredible intensity in his eyes. Yeah, ah, uh, it works as a man being stabbed yeah. in the neck to death. Yeah, he did that quite well. Um, also George is, um, like, I expected him to look like a lot more tough. And I thought the one thing that he like fit in well he looks was like a nice guy. Eh? Yeah. He looked like <laughs> kind of like a goofy guy. He had yeah. a goofy hat yeah, on like a goofy shirt. And he just kind of had like sort of a chill vibe, yeah. but then like he kind of flip into a gear for the fight scene yeah, let's be as staged as they are. Yeah. But yeah, I thought that that was the one thing that I think he did well, which yeah. is, listen, they put him in this movie cause he was a good person to shoot fight scenes yeah. with and he delivered pretty good on his fight scenes yeah in the first raid doesn't he do like a suplex on some one of yeah. the oh, yeah he does a bunch of he does a <laughs> yeah. bunch of crazy moves for sure uh of course it wouldn't be a sagal from a scale didn't get the chance to show that he's the uh multi-linguist and so uh what he's of course dropping a couple brutal french lines to gsv yeah his french sounded as if like he had just like off camera, there was a French dictionary. Yeah, yeah. And he was just yeah. looking at it yeah. phonetically and going back and doing it. Yeah. Um, also, uh, getting back to sort of Steven Seagal being indestructible uh, and the all the other tropes that he falls into. One thing worth noting is this the first like Steven Seagal movie where there isn't just like an obligatory uh, woman scene where like he's sort of like, like a, a, him being the romantic. Yeah. 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 yeah like, yeah, yeah. thank God we really spared from that in this, which I think was uh, for the better. So I guess we get to the end of uh, the fight and everything. And yeah. uh, we get it's the a late uh, third act plot yeah. twist yet again. The, the epic uh, Kaiser Sosa style uh, <laughs> twist. And so it turns out that, uh, and like going back to what I was saying before about Salazar kind of being a likable character. I thought it was kind of clever because, like, they get the audience on his side and, like, oh, maybe he's an all right guy. And all of a sudden, oh, hey. he's actually not. Yeah, I was going to say this, which I thought that was really good, too, yeah. because this movie was also made right as this whole Steven Seagal is, like, uh, strengthening his bond with Russia. Mm. And this guy with a very clearly Eastern European thing going on, it would make sense that Steven Seagal would make a movie. You want to ingratiate yourself to this character that sure. you normally are repelled from. Yeah. So for him to pull the rug out on you, 
like last minute is you know that's actually kind of clever yeah. i think we we kind of touched on this before but like salazar is he supposed to be hispanic because chavez know. is clearly hispanic and has a his like and his name <laughs> yeah but then this dude his name is salazar but that he has the heaviest most like yeah. uh comical russian accent yeah i'm ever. i'm convinced he just it's an accent he can't lose because he's also uh subtitled by several characters as el tiburon which mm. is like el anything is spanish like mm-hmm. that's just what is it, tiburon is i don't is know car called it so uh like i thought that was a little strange. we'll send it to the research department yeah um, el que car <laughs> yeah we, we find out that uh chavez is his sister Yes. Dun, 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 dun. And, like, the... Well nailed in post. The, the reason why uh, we only know this now is because Steven Seagal's research skills are apparently better than both the, uh, you know, U.S. Department of Defense, the DEA, the U.S. Marshals. They couldn't dig this up. But you get, you get Seagal uh, with his uh, uh, Acer netbook, and he's just like, brr, and he cracked his case. So... <laughs> Let me get my Chromebook out. Yeah. And so uh, it, kinda, it, it clearly sets it up for a sequel where oh, yeah. Luke Goss needs to find Chavez. Wouldn't that be nice to see? I would love to do an episode of Block of Seagulls where it's a sequel to a Seagal movie without Seagal in it. Oh, to run means shark in Spanish. Hmm. That makes sense because he can't he can't ever stay in one place. He's got to keep yeah. moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, Very insightful. Yeah, like going like back a to chess what, match. What were you we saying about like Seagal not being in the movie too too much? That I, I ran across this one line in a review that said that it was a not like a supporting role, but in an extended cameo. And we, <laughs> we kind of mentioned this before that like you know Luke Goss he held down the fort. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, like it, like I. Definitely enjoyed watching him being on screen. This the was whole time, for much all. This kill, was right? for all intents and purposes a Luke Goss movie. Oh yeah, completely. Yeah. So in terms of is Luke Goss a better leading man in 2016 than Steven Seagal? No question. Absolutely not. Not a question at all. So I think Steven Seagal has, as bad as he is in this, he's found where he should be, which is yes, yep. You know, sitting yeah, yeah. behind a desk for the most part. Uh, Still not saying his lines loud enough, but whatever. He's got the aura. Um, so, you know, this felt at the very least like, fine. Yeah. Steven Seagal, keep it up. This yeah. is good. Mm. Fine. Here's a question because we're finishing this up a lot earlier than we normally do. Um, is Steven Seagal savable? Could you cast him in something these days that would have some sort of, you know, artistic merit to it. Is there is there a universe in which you see that happening? Here's the problem. I kind of got into this with Above the Law. Or no, sorry, A Contract to Kill. Mm-hmm. I think there is. Will he do it? Mm-hmm. No, Good I point. don't think so. Sure. I stand by what I said before, which is his body... Uh... Suits villainy. Yeah, Exactly. Um, and I think that he could maybe not like a Marvel thing, but you know, like in a sort of like mid budget sort of vehicle, sure. I could see I mean, him even being... Michael Keaton is being an evildoer in the latest, uh, Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Really? So I mean, yeah. who is he? Uh, the main villain in the thing. And he's like sort of dark Iron Man. 
Yeah, uh, I don't know. Oh, uh, one more hilarious line at the end of the film. Tungsten Man. Uh, is So uh, the target shooting scene, we get that I've always had a problem shooting beautiful women. And uh, I think Seagal... A cardboard like, cutout, by the way. Yeah. That was gotten less... Like, I don't know. Go Seagal on. says something like, if you had known that she was his sister, would you have shot her? And he's like, I've always had a problem shooting beautiful women. Ah, and then Seagal's that. like, how about ugly women? And he's just like, never had a problem with that, sir. And Seagal's like, good to know you're still ethical. Yeah. But going back to the whole, like, it, it's is Seagal sort of savable? Like, I think that there's some really interesting examples in kind of like the history of cinema where you get this actor that everyone has written off, and for mm-hmm. whatever reason, like this a director will come along and be like, "I know how to use." It. A good example yeah. being uh, like James Woods in Videodrome. Yeah, it's just like that. That's the role he was born to play, you know. Or even like uh, like. David Lynch has done that with a, a few actors where it's just like someone who no one else really knows how best to use them. And then somehow he gets this performance out of them. You're just like, oh, shit. Here's, so, yeah. Here's the thing about that. When you say people have been written off, I don't even know if Seagal has ever been like written on <laughs> in the first place. Like on a certain <laughs> strata of stardom, like he's always kind of bubbled under the surface perpetually. What, but I mean, like, like when those first early ones, like everything before Under Siege, like, I mean, he was the action star. You think so? Oh, yeah, yeah. Really? Oh, for Bruce sure. Bruce Willis? No? It's different, though. It's different. But this is what I'm saying. Like, he is the B level at that time. He was never A-list anything. No, I no. He so. was huge at that time. I don't know. Like, he was in everything. He does. He has a cameo on Roseanne. Or, he, <laughs> like, he hosted Saturday Night Live. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, like, he, he was a big deal at the time. It yeah. was short-lived. But, like, yeah. He, yeah, he was huge at the time. Like, he was never, like, like Tom Cruise or something. But I mean, if you think about it, like action stars who are just yeah. action stars, period, like like Van Damme and stuff like that, yeah. they're always just kind of like tend to be a flash in the pan, you know? Yeah. You think he had a bigger ceiling than most of those guys when he had it? Ceiling in terms of like... Like star power. I'd say so. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, I mean, he was like, I can't think of any American action star at that time that like had this air of legitimacy. Right, and that's that's the thing. Like in in uh, Asian cinema and kung fu flicks and stuff like that, that's like prerequisite. Like it's just like they're not going to put someone in there unless you know, you know, like like mm. Jet Li, uh, Donnie Yen. It's just like like there's no or like like uh, Jackie Chan. It's yeah. just like it's not like uh, it is this person actually badass. It's like you know that this person actually is like a legitimate, you know, combat sports killer. You know, I mean, with Jackie Chan, it was easy because they put all the aborted stunts in the credits. That yeah. was awesome. Yeah. This whole time I'm thinking about Steven Seagal in a David Lynch movie. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Since you mentioned it. Yeah. But like, I, I guess like in terms of like, like his place in sort of action cinema and stuff like that, like I would say the only American precursor uh, to Seagal would be Chuck Norris. The difference is obviously Seagal has this this physicality this presence and also like a coolness that chuck norris never had chuck norris is the ted cruz to steven seagal's donald trump and i mean like like that nerdy other oh me too yeah and i mean like like in terms of like like who's more badass i'm sure chuck norris could beat up steven seagal like peak chuck norris and peak steven seagal i'm sure chuck norris would kick his ass like he was like a legit uh combat sports guy he fought in competitions trained with like uh, bruce lee and stuff like that like he was like a real dude 
But he was also just like, he looks stupid. He's got that big, stupid beard. And I mean, like, you know, at the time that the beard thing was kind of like more of like a, a woodsy American man thing. But it looks like Seagal had this coolness, despite, you know, his like wooden uh, acting and, you know, just like like his charisma was almost like uh, in spite of uh, his actual personality sabotaging it. Like he's right. just like, you know, it's like it's like 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 you get like a like a like a rock Hudson or something. Or like or like a like James Dean. Like if you hear James Dean's voice, it's like <laughs> but he's just like looks so great. Just like put that motherfucker in a film. Same with Seagal. but I mean Seagal could also back it up in the fact that like, you know, he was doing all this shit no one's ever seen. No. All right, that's fair. But uh, like is he savable? I I agree with your point about that like is he willing to? Yeah, he won't allow himself to be to a point of because he did turn down a role in either the Expendables or yeah. the Expendables Two. Like he's, he clearly still sees himself as something that mm, this would suggest that he's not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd be interested to know like how much money is he making from these movies? Like, I would just like I don't know a lot about like direct to video sales figures i was gonna say i mean this is such a stupid generic thought to have but the whole time i was watching this movie i honestly couldn't stop but thinking like who is this made for like Mm -hmm. who's who's the target audience here and like how how possibly would you still be making these sorts of movies so this is something we've talked about probably on the first episode when we also had a lot of time because it was a modern steven seagal film and stuff which is sort of is there still room for the Steven Seagal man sure. in today's sort of GQ world? So I, I yeah. read this interview with the, the director, Keone Waxman, and they uh, got into that. Basically, they were saying that the reason why uh, a lot of stuff is uh, filmed like in sort of like international areas and there's sort of like an international theme is because a lot of it, a lot of his fans are not English speakers. No. So he was saying that, the action genre is one of the genres that translates well uh, in terms of, you know, the dialogue uh, not being super difficult to follow. Well, I mean, our case in point in which all the subtitle parts of exactly, is Italian yeah. and we apparently miss nothing. I mean, that's that's very true because, uh, I mean, you look at what's the big hits now. They're all action movies and they're all movies in which dialogue is played down yeah. and doesn't necessarily play a huge part. Or their spectacle and the action will not play a part right. at all. Yeah. So, yeah, I get that. But it's more just like you have those. Mm. And it's like, why do we need these? Yeah. Like, these are so... How many Especially. people could... Yeah. For sure. How many people could theoretically see this? Like, 500,000? Yeah. Like, it's just like... So, you know what? One explanation that uh, kind of uh, builds off your point earlier of, why are you always making fun of all these uh, weapon type errors in Seagal films uh, when every other movie does it? I think one of the reasons why uh, like these films are made and why I think they might be at least somewhat successful. I mean, he's clearly getting his money back or he would stop this. But mm-hmm. like, I think it's that like, you know, people don't see the bad stuff and the good stuff, you know, like it, I'm sure most people they're not talking about the oh, like the. The ADR on this, or like the editing on this, or like there was there wasn't a single M4 in there, you know? Or it's just like what? See, look at the the wooden fore end on that AK47. It's just like people aren't going that deep on it, and yeah. I mean it's changing now. No, I think that's definitely true. Yeah. Like I don't think because there's no market for it to be reviewed. Like we noted the lack of reviews of this movie, and it's not because like it's just like why review it? 
They do this thing. I'll get off top for a second, but a movie criticism and music criticism is one of the few exceptions to a general rule of criticism, which is you don't tend to review bad and good. Like when you go to like, like if you're reviewing like restaurants or alcohol, if you're trying to fill like a magazine or something, you want to just fill it with all good. There's a baseline. Of yeah. Quality. You want to recommend it. Mm. So it almost feels like this movie will not really be analyzed in any real way. And I feel like that is almost where it's inherent market value lies. Yeah. Which is, this is just a dumb thing that people who are into dumb things can put on and their brain just shuts off. And, you know, I guess that's kind of the, the point where Steven Seagal is at right now, where yeah. that's his, that's his bread and butter. They can probably put it out in a lot of markets where putting out DVDs is still lucrative. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, if you watch any... Uh, like, you mean like Russia or Eastern Europe or something? Yeah, places where oh. there's not like a... <laughs> there's not an internet backbone maybe at, as strong as it is here, and people still go out and buy a DVD or two. Physical copies. Another thing, I guess, in terms of like the who is watching this... I'll why... go to Bluebuster. I'll get the Killing Salazar. <laughs> ah, just Killing Salazar. Yeah, the, the the issue of like who is watching this? Why do we need this? Why is this popular? Like, this is a movie for people who don't like movies. You know what I mean? In the same way that Nickelback is a band for people that don't like music. Like, it's not like a I'm uh, watching this or I'm listening to this because I'm really fascinated with the art form and that yeah, I want to they'd say it. fuck that yeah. pretentious yeah, bullshit. Exactly. And that's why people like Nickelback. That it's just like they don't want to see a bunch of like intellectual jerk offs up there like playing these complicated songs with different times. It's just like a bunch of regular guys rocking out. And I think maybe that's the appeal where it's, it's like, it's confusing bad with unpretentiousness. Like sure. it's like this, they masquerade as being point. unpretentious, but really it's just bad. Yeah. And you can objectively say it's bad, but the defenders of it will ardently say, well, you're just too pretentious. Yeah. They're trying to be unpretentious. But then there are movies that do break through, like I would say The Raid, which is both awesome and critically acclaimed, or the John Wick series, which is coming back yeah. now. Uh, has like a Netflix TV show as well? Ooh, or even boy. that Mad Max Fury Road. Like it's like, mm-hmm. it, it's it's just solid action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess is what we're getting at. Yeah. But this movie kind of, it has this nice gray area in habits where. Yeah. Would this movie, like the new Mad Max, have benefited from being in black and white? Yeah. No. I, I don't think so. I think color is... It, yeah, it's like a... Well, we wouldn't see all the graphic flat, blood you know? mm. with the color. Yeah. Just like that, especially that the hotel backdrop. Like, it would just Ooh. be like mud, you know? Oh, just yeah. Like indistinguishable. Yeah. It'd be like early uh, Zelda games where, like, there's so many trees and it's all just shades of gray. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap up Cartels. Okay. Uh, would you recommend anybody watch this? No, not really. No? Michael? No, no. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, like if you're a Seagal, actually, no, not even Seagal fan. No, like, <laughs> not even if you're a Seagal fan. He's you not know, in you know, it enough actually, to be worth I'll be honest. Time. I wouldn't recommend someone watch this. Uh, it's not the worst Seagal film ever made, but it's oh. just like, it's a mediocre action. It has nothing, nothing unique about nothing it. Yeah, there's nothing. It. Just skip it. There's nothing here to to bite your teeth into. Yeah. There's just nothing to sink your teeth into. Like, nothing, really. Like, it's so, like, as we said, I think. Honestly, like soft breeze through your brain is the best yeah. describing quality. Of this I think movie. like especially following exit wounds, which I really enjoyed. Like, I mean, they're like 
obviously I'm not going to go through a fucking checklist of why exit wounds is better, but I mean like, uh, yeah, it's just, Tom Arnold, Arnold. list done. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's just like, this movie is just like, it's just kind of flat, you know, there's, there's, there's like, it, it, it doesn't have like, uh, yeah. Yeah. No. So yeah, I, I wouldn't action film. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend it. Like, Let's it, say you, Riley. I wouldn't either. No. I mean, there's there's not enough good for it to be like a good action film, and unlike Contract to Kill, there's not enough bad that makes it almost like a spectacle to watch. I liked it more than Contract to Kill. I, See, I would rather watch this again hey, than Contract. Here's the thing about Contract to Kill, though. Contract to Kill to me is memorable because it was so like it hit the sort of troll two bottom, mm-hmm. yeah. whereas this kind of just hits the. It, trashman of my mind bottom uh yeah like if i were to rank this like contract to kill is like you're dead the trashman of your mind palace yeah so like you know you get like your 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 if you're ranking your movies your contract to kill is like a one like yeah. it's like so bad this is like a three but it's almost like the three is worse than a one because at least the one the sticks three in your brain is, as yeah, to how the bad three is worse to you sit couldn't, through you couldn't yeah. hate, you couldn't hate watch this one yeah yeah there's never going to be a documentary on the making of cartels. Okay. All right, so up next, uh, where do we go from here? Where do we go from killing Salazar? Uh, I mean, let's let's take it back a bit. Right. We're thinking maybe The Patriot, yeah? Sounds good. Interesting, another facet of Seagal that we haven't really explored. Yeah, yeah him, this is Seagal going. Yeah, going he's literal tackling, native. He's tackling the big uh so if you made it to this point of the podcast guys this is flock of Seagulls. we're signing off if you like it don't even worry about rating us on itunes just tell a friend about us that's all we ask i'm you must have one friend you loser come on <laughs> subscribe and tell people you like the podcast just just that too like much it. just tell somebody else to listen to it yeah, we don't even want the reviews we live in canada we won't see them we we, we have itunes ca here yeah um yeah, just tell somebody to listen to it. Yeah. Except for that one guy. Oh, God. Are you going to tell him? Don't tell him. What are you thinking? But tell that other guy. Yeah. Don't tell that one person in your friend group that everyone hates when they show up and you're just like, oh, yeah. no. Yeah, don't tell Chad. Fucking Brian's here. Oh, fuck. We're so sorry. Are you Chad? Fucking Chad. Don't tell Chad. Don't tell any Chad. I'm so sorry, Chad. Chad we Michael didn't mean Vincent. that. All right. If you're still listening, Chad, we're sorry. Sorry, Chadwick. Chad Smith. Is it Chadley? Or is it Chadwick? I thought it was Chadazar. Chadwick. Killing Chalazar. <laughs> Chad, you fuck. <laughs> Chad. Flock of seagulls out. <laughs>